Hey, what's up, everybody? Monday, October 10th. This is the Monday Morning Analyst. I'm the host of this podcast, Luke Thomas. I hope you're doing well. Appreciate you guys watching. Hope you had a good time watching the fights at UFC 204, which we'll go over right now. Three parts to this podcast. We talk about the fights over the weekend, take a look at some ones in depth, and then talk about what's coming up next. So today, there was World Series of Fighting 33, but it was, you know, it's just not really on anyone's radar. So let's focus our attention on UFC 204. This was over the weekend. This was headlined by Bisping versus Henderson 2. Took place at the Manchester Arena in Manchester, England. The attendance, 16000 for nearly a $2 million gate, $1.96 million. Um, let's go down the card and talk about what happened. Michael Bisping defeating Dan Henderson, 48-47, 48-47, and then 49-46. I initially scored it a 47-47 draw. I will explain in the next segment how I rescored it. We're going to take a look at some of those moments to figure out what are maybe some of the more justifiable scorecards. But I think this is what a test case and really, frankly, an indictment of the 10-9 must system because there are a lot, a lot of justifiable scorecards here, including having either guy winning. That's the kind of craziness that we're seeing here. So we'll talk about that a little bit more in the second segment. Uh, Gagard Musasi defeating Vitor Belfort at 243 of the second round. Belfort, as we knew, you know, maybe it was a little longer than three minutes, but he has fast hands. Actually found an opening with his left hand a couple of times. But uh, old Musasi does the peekaboo and essentially... Vitor thinks that some boxing is coming, and you can see him kind of lean one way or another, and then a head kick comes up. A nice little savage misdirection there by Gagard Musasi. As for what's next, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with him, to be honest. So um, I hope he gets a big fight. Anderson Silva, maybe. I don't know what they're going to do, but he definitely deserves one. Jimmy Manawa defeating Ovin St. Pru via KO at 238 of the second round. Uh, Ovin St. Pru. Uh, this was the hardest one to call, I think, on the whole card, or at least the whole main card. Because Ovin St. Pru is the more well-rounded guy, but he's not as good in any one department as Manawa is in striking. And I think you saw that. Um, beautiful digging body shots to the uh, uh, to the liver from Manawa. As the jab came, he, he comes, he slips off the center line, right? And then uh, steps out at the same time at an angle so that he could come back the other way and digs hard liver shots, which obviously... Uh, enabled him to go right to left and then close the show. But um, I was surprised that OSP didn't do more wrestling in this one. I don't know if he had an injury or if he didn't think he needed to. I I don't know. Just a bit of a bizarre game plan from OSP. I'm not surprised Man of War 1 necessarily because I thought it was competitive, but I'm surprised that OSP didn't make it as competitive as it could have been. Uh, but good win for Jimmy Manoa. Really good win. Nice knockout. Beautiful striking. Stefan Struve. Defeats Daniel Omilanchuk via Darce Choke, 141 of the second round. What do you want to say about this one? Uh, first time in a while I'd seen Struve fight a little bit tall. Not as tall as I would like him. I would really like to see Struve develop a jab. I think if he did, he'd be very hard to hurt. But um, nevertheless, a little bit better. And on the ground, I just love his willingness to go for submissions. Um, he had great top presence, of course. And then going for that Darce, a lot of people don't appreciate this, but you can go from a Darce if... We're head-to-head, your head and body go that way, my head and body go this way, and you can lock it up underneath, which is almost what you saw, right? A lot of times people think Darce comes from, you know, um, I have to get it from side control, a three-quarter mile. That's where a lot of entries come from. But he did it almost underneath. And then the other part, I think, that helped finish it, and I've talked about this before, you don't need it, but if you can get your body on the arm 
in front of you as you're doing the Darsh choke and then put your weight on top of it, you can finish him because it's going to be hard to choke a guy like Daniel Omelanchuk. That's exactly what Stefan Struve did, and he got the tap. Really nice finish from him. Mirsad Bektic just absolutely runs through Russell Doan, winning at 422 of the first round. Not much to say, except I'm glad to see him back. We'll see what happens next with him. On the prelim card, Yuri Alcantara defeating Brad Pickett via triangle choke at 159 of the first. We're going to take a look at this one uh, in the second round. But, you know, tough run for Brad Pickett. He's not losing to scrubs, but... He is losing, um, so this is tough. But Yuri Alcantara looked awesome in this fight. That is a you'll see why in the next segment. That is a badass black belt right there. Uh, Damian Stasiak defeating Davy Grant. Nice little misdirection there. I want you to go back and look at the tape. He had his feet in the hips and his ass off the ground before he ever went for anything. That should have been a clue to Davy Grant that something was coming. Feet in the hips and the person underneath doesn't have their rear end resting on the ground. That means they're going to throw it up for something. You got to be aware of that. Uh, 356 of the third round. Leon Edwards defeating Albert Tumanov. It's not that I didn't think Leon Edwards was good or couldn't win against Albert Tumanov. I guess if he was going to win, it was going to be this way. I'm a little bit surprised at how shoddy Tumanov's rear naked choke defense is. He loses at 301 of the third round. I expected more from him in this one, but I got to say, Leon Edwards was a very strong performance. Uh, Mark uh, Diakisi, however you pronounce it properly, versus Lucas Sajewski, Sajewski, whatever, 440 of the second round. He had that old Freddie Serrano pick up and drop, super strong guy in that first round. The only thing about uh, Diakisi or whatever it is, he extends really far in his punches and had a little bit of problem with Sajewski coming in and then underhooking him. So if he's just a little bit more um, diligent about you know, uh, extend extension on his punches and about being diligent about, you know, always underhooking if guys try to clinch up with him, he's going to be a nightmare for people. And then Mike Perry defeating Danny Roberts in a slobber knocker back and forth. You know, everyone likes to pick on Mike Perry, and he's easy to pick on, uh, but I got to say, that kid has a, I mean, just a born fighter is what he is. You know, we'll see how good of a MMA fighter he is, but this is the kind of kid back in the day who probably gotten scraps and realized pretty quickly I can hit hard and I can take a hard hit naturally. And if I can do something with that, maybe I can go somewhere. And you're looking at the fruits of that. Uh, and also, you know, credit to Mike Perry. If you go back and you watch his regional fights, which was not too long ago, his elbows are all flared out. His hands are still low, but they're even lower there. And I watched that tape before his UFC debut, and I'm like, someone's going to exploit this. And I thought Danny Roberts was going to exploit it. And the truth is, to an extent, Danny Roberts did. But the chin on Mike Perry is tremendous. I think eventually someone's going to get him and make him pay for it, and we'll see what his ground game's like, although it looked pretty good as he was passing and moving the mount but and maintaining back control. But, um, you know, Mike Perry might be a donk donkerson, but Mike Perry, he's got some knuckle game too. Uh, and then Leonardo Santos defeating Adriano Martins, 28-29, uh, 29-28, Martins just not really not doing enough. Um, bonus went The bonuses went to... Let's see. Fight of the night, Bisping Henderson, well-deserved. And then performance of the night, Manoa versus Yuri Alcantara. I, I frankly agree with all of those. Uh, my fighter of the card, I will give it to Yuri Alcantara. Uh, okay, so with that, let's talk about some scoring. Let's talk about um, some of the numbers. And let's talk about two things. Number one, Bisping versus Henderson in retrospect. And then we'll take a look at how Alcantara finished Pickett with that nasty armbar triangle finish from Mount at the end of their prelim preliminary card bout. Let's take a look. All right, here we go. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at rounds one and rounds two only in the sense of how did Bisping respond to those knockdowns? Because here's, I think, the general consensus, as best I can tell. Most believe that rounds three and rounds four went to Bisping. I'm sure some people disagree, but that's generally what I've seen. I have heard some argue that the fifth round went to Henderson. 
I don't necessarily agree. Henderson did land one good right and was a little bit more aggressive, but I, re- I rewatched it just before recording. It's close, I'll admit, and that takedown for Henderson is it counts for something, but there were a couple of jump knees from Bisping that worked. He was really good with his jab as well. Like it, it just seemed, you know, clear is a strong word. I would I would be much more comfortable arguing for Bisping in that fifth round. And anyway, I'm trying to keep this podcast a little bit tighter. So I just can't show every strike in that fifth. So that leaves us with the first and the second. Because I did see some people saying in the second round that Henderson won. Let's see about that because I think it's really going to hinge on what you think about how this strike landed and what Bisping did in terms of reaction. Because up to this point in this first round, there's no denying it, Michael Bisping was winning. I'm not saying that Dan Henderson was getting creamed, but he was losing, at least in terms of what it means for effective striking. One note, you can't bring into effect octagon control. That only comes into play if the striking is even, which if that's the case in that fifth round, that would give Bisping the edge. So let's think about that. But okay, back to the first round. We have 40 seconds left. This is just before the big bomb comes. All right, let's see what happens, because I think I had initially upon first glance in real time, scored this a 10-8. And I was live blogging, and I've said it once, i said it a thousand times, live blogging and trying to score is like trying to drive and text at the same time. Eventually, you're going to get into a car crash. So I'm always, always open to the idea that we're subject to revision. So let's go back. 40 seconds in, let's see what happens. Boom. Right hand lands at about the 39-second mark. Okay, let's see what happens when they're on the ground, and let's see how long they're on the ground. Let's see what happens after they get up. I think that's pretty key. So we can at least say, for 4 minutes and 20 seconds, Michael Bisping was winning. Then he gets rocked. Bad. He collapses. I want to make a point here. He does a lot of good, and he does a lot of bad here. Let's talk about the good first. Number one, eyes downfield on Henderson. His head never flops and rolls back. He falls a pretty far distance, which allow, which is not the case in the second round, which allows him to turn and recover and face his opponent. I'm going to show you an unflattering picture here, but it's an important one. Oh, did I get it? Dagger. I didn't quite get it. There's one where he actually gets his legs up right by his ears, like ass in the air. And that actually shows that like what he's doing is he's trying to use his legs as the first line of defense before Henderson comes down. But this is the bad part. He can't quite do it, and he throws this right. Now, this right, it lands a little bit, but not as much as you think it might. And he's sort of knee on bellyish here. But obviously, this is going quite poorly right now for Michael Bisping. So what happens? Number one, you can see he's trying to trap a wrist, and he's got another hand up there. This, to me, head off the mat. This, to me, shows that he is at least kind of aware he's in trouble. But, of course, he would need to get this knee on the inside and and something else. So let's see what happens. It looks like this elbow lands. It partially lands. I'm not saying it it misses, but it doesn't land with authority. There are some he throws in just a few seconds that land with very clear authority. This is not one of them. All right? Second one. Tries to throw some punches. They don't quite land all that well. They kind of miss as Bisping sits up at the perfect time. He tries to throw a left. Doesn't actually land. Michael Bisping gets out of the way. All right? And now, there's a degree of separation. So it's like almost like a shrimp position, which allows Bisping to then use his hips to face Dan. Dan throws another right, and it misses. Okay? Now, he uses his leg here to then push off on the shoulder. Henderson tries to throw him by, but he can't because he's rolling off of his shoulders here. Okay? Gets to the side, tries to throw a triangle. It's not going to work. All right, 
throws an elbow to the, not to the head, but to like the body, and it lands, but you know, who knows how powerful that is. All right. Then he tries to like flatten him out here. Throws a short inside left. This one does land. Throws an elbow over the top. That one lands. Now that, that was a nasty one that landed at the 27 second mark. Um, oh, maybe this is the one that missed actually. Oh, it landed a little bit, but it slid off. Kind of like the first, first elbow that landed. All right. And then he sits up. Now you see Bisping trying to grab control. Interesting that he's gone from side to side because of the way Michael B he keeps trying to throw Michael Bisping by. And as a consequence, he's ending up in different sides of side control. But okay. Bisping trying to reach over here. This elbow lands hard. This is what I'm talking about when I mentioned the first one. Look at this. Elbow right on the chin. Like it, just, it opens him up as a consequence. Okay. So here we go. I think another shot missed, another short inside punch missed. Now Bisping is able to get up. Gets on a hand, he's turning away. Henderson's trying to hold on to him. He gets to his feet, he's covering up. This looks like Michael Bisping is throwing a punch. He's not, he's pushing away. It's Henderson who's landing a punch to the side of the head. Okay, so that lands. And then he times a nice inside uppercut. It's not clear how much that lands. It doesn't bop his head back. But that doesn't mean it doesn't land either. So, I don't know, count it halfway. Look at all mouth open Bruce Buffer here. All right, and then this is the first time that Bisping throws a strike back. He's gotten to his feet, and he's pushed off here. That's not a punch. This is only a punch from Henderson. Gets back to his feet, this right hand, which is lazy and doesn't do much, but it's the first time he's evading him. So, so really what we're going to count here is from... The 39-second mark, if I'm not mistaken, right? From 39 seconds, it's just all bad to the 15-second mark. Okay, so 39 minus 15, that's 24 seconds that Dan Henderson won. Now, is that enough for a 10-8? And here's Michael Bisping doing a jump switch kick, which doesn't land. Okay, and this is his face after the round. So why did I score at 10-8? Well, one, I was live blogging. Two, wasn't quite clear to me exactly, you know, just how long this was in real time. And then I think three, I saw his face, and I was like, oh, man, that was a really, really bad round. In retrospect, do I think it's justifiable to score that at 10-8? I don't. And here's why. Number one, that right hand was vicious. I think we can all agree about that. But on the ground... A lot of the follow-up shots, particularly, remember I mentioned Dan Henderson went side to side? The first time he was in side control on the right side of the body of Michael Bisping, a lot of those missed, which gave Michael Bisping opportunity to hold on, regard, and then, and then Henderson goes to the other side. Now, some of those elbows landed. Some of those elbows landed nicely. I counted three clean, hard shots he was able to score. Fair enough, fair play to him. But then Bisping gets to his feet and returns a strike at the 15-second mark. Clearly, I think Bisping lost the round because he came the closest to being stopped. And if, frankly, if Henderson had been more accurate in that first flurry on the floor, maybe it would have been stopped. But he wasn't. And Michael Bisping, even before Henderson got to him, was at least, how do you want to say, prepared and ready for him. Right? So... To an extent, anyway. So, for me, I think it's close. And I also think if this is a 10-9 round and you do this to your opponent in a 10-9 round, then just jabbing him 
let's say in a different round, shouldn't also be a 10-9. Like, I still feel like our scoring criteria isn't there. But I think here's what I am saying. Is this enough to justify, as it's currently defined, a 10-8 round? I, I just don't think that it is. I think it's 10-9 Henderson, but it's not 10-8. So let's take a look at round two. Oh, real quick, here's the replay. Before we go to round two, here's the replay. Right? Check this out. Henderson drops him. This is the picture I was talking about. It's unflattering for Michael Bisping, but he's bringing his knees inside, and he's looking down, and he's getting his hands ready. He doesn't ultimately use it quite effectively because he is still kind of rocked, but this to me shows some awareness. Head up off the mat. You know, that's it's hard to say he was so close to the precipice, especially since Henderson doesn't really follow up all that well after this point. Okay, now let's take a look at round two. All right, round two. So this is just before the big bomb lands in the second round. What you're going to see is Henderson lowers his level and fakes, and a la Tyrone Woodley, Robbie Lawler, the hands come out, and then in the second time he does it, he baits this left from Michael Bisping, and then kaboom. Okay, sick right hand, right? Really, really nice right hand. So this is also a little bit earlier in the round. This is at 112. Last time it was at 40 seconds. Let's see what happens. This time it's a little bit different. And also I can tell you, up until that right hand, here, he had he had um, uh, Henderson doing what he wants. Circling clockwise. Now there was a question about whether there was a low shot. The referee didn't stop the fight. But nevertheless, Bisping was winning that round anyway. And he was getting him to go to his right. Throwing lefts throwing motion kicks from the left to the right, and then trying to find a right lane uh, for this right hand, which he found on occasion. He was definitely winning that second round, no doubt about it. But he eats a big shot, okay, and he goes down. Here, But this is the difference between the first and second round. Bisping doesn't like fall far away and have Henderson run up on him. He kind of falls right there, like maybe a step or two back at most. And so he's able to re-guard almost immediately. Henderson, in fact, falls into the guard which is kind of crazy. This left, uh, let me see if he sits up for another one. Yeah, so what you're going to see is he actually sits up in this open guard, tries to fire it, and Michael Bisping gets this hand here, blocking the right hand. It doesn't really land. Okay, so what happens? He tries to get another one. Look at Michael Bisping, knees inside, inside bicep control, head up off the mat, hips up off the mat, crunched together. That's what he's doing. He's crunched in, ab, uh, you know, ab flexion. Is what you've got going on here. Okay? Spinal flexion is what you've got going on here. That's nice. That's that's someone who's kind of with it. You know, this is a bad spot, but it's not... This is not someone who's hanging on for dear life, like we, we, we'll see with Alcantara and Brad Pickett. Okay? Then look what, Bis what happens here. Then Henderson puts his weight forward. Henderson brings... Uh, Bisping brings him in, grabs behind. Locks up. Full guard here, as this picture seals up, and you got hands on the mat. Let me tell you something. If that had been, you know, someone else who's like a guard specialist, hands on the mat here could have been the death of Dan Henderson. But, okay, it wasn't. But let's see what happens here after this loving embrace. All right, he tries to push the head away, cover the mouth. This is legal. It's, you know, I wouldn't say dirty, but, you know, it's a little bit like foot stompish. Um, questionable effect. BJ Penn likes it, but, okay, neither here nor there. Now he throws this elbow and it misses. Why? Because you'll see... Bisping doesn't just sit up, he sits up and rotates almost like he's going for an arm bar. You see that? He doesn't actually swing this leg around to the outside, but he definitely uses it to dodge the elbow. It was nice. And then he regards again, still claiming that overhook on the right side. And then finally, 
you, you will see that Henderson lands a couple of decent, you know, elbows to the body and a couple of like, you know, pitter patter shots. But you just saw the sum total of ground and pound. There wasn't really one clean shot that landed. He doesn't pass guard. He doesn't attempt guard. So the question is, is that enough to give him the round? That is a tough call. That is a very tough call. Definitely not 10-9. Excuse me, definitely not 10-8 Henderson. The question is, do you go 10-9 Michael Bisping or do you go 10-9 Dan Henderson? Very, very tough. Here's what I'm going to say, and I also believe that there is room for debate about this. I'm going to go 10-9 Bisping on this with my original score. And the reason why is that even though this one big punch landed and it knocked Bisping off of his feet, nothing really happened after that. That guy on top, guy on bottom is supposed to be a neutral position. And really, I mean, Henderson barely landed a single shot on top. After Before that, he was getting pushed around and he was getting jabbed, hooked, kicked, body kicked, kneed in the face. Again, not tremendously hard, but enough. I just feel like the volume of offense before this doesn't negate it. If he had had a similar response to knocking Bisping down that he had in the first round where he gets into side control, like a dominant position, not one side control, but two side controls, lands some heavy elbows, I might have given it to him because he had more time to do it. This is the referee separating when the horn sounds. But nothing really happened after this. Really, it's just that one shot. Does that one shot negate everything that Michael Bisping did before this? I don't think that it does. I can understand, however, if someone might feel differently. So for me, it's 10-9. That would give us a 10-9 third round, 10-9 fourth round. In the fifth round, I initially gave it, I believe, to Dan Henderson. Upon second viewing, I gave it to Michael Bisping. So what does that lead us to? that leads us to is I think these are some of the justifiable scorecards. The original one that I had, I wouldn't back it up upon second viewing, but I think 47-47 a draw is justifiable. I think, and I didn't think this at first, but upon reviewing, I do think it's justifiable. 49-46 for Michael Bisping. You give Dan Henderson round one, and you give the rest 10-9 to Michael Bisping. I also feel like 48-47 Michael Bisping is a justifiable scorecard. You give Hendo the first and last rounds, and you give Bisping the middle three. Any of those would work. I don't see how you give Dan Henderson the fight. I, 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 although I guess I suppose if you're going to allow a 10-9 for Dan Henderson, and potentially you gave him a 10-8, and potentially you can give him the fifth, maybe a Dan Henderson scorecard is justifiable. Here's the point. Everyone keeps thinking to themselves in this current system, there's one, maybe two scoring criteria in close proximity, or not scoring criteria, scoring outcomes, like let's say 49-46 Bisping, 48-47 Bisping, that are justifiable. And the truth is, with proper scoring, with everyone's different vantage points and weighing things differently, the range is not, well, it could be one or two, but they have to be close together. It can be a full range of them. You could you could potentially argue, I, I don't think it's right, but I think you could argue 10-8 round one, Hendo. 10-9, Hendo. Bisping, Bisping, 10-9, Hendo. You could give him rounds one, two, and five. Again, I don't think that the numbers really justify that, but it's not crazy. What's crazy is that we have a scoring criteria where, you know, 48, uh, where you can give Henderson a winning score, and justify it, and you can give Bisping not only a winning score, you could have a winning all but one round. It this is this is the 10-9 must system, is that it allows for these kinds of things. So if you have a different kind of score out there, 
Um, I understand it. I, I just feel like I would caution everyone. This is one of those fights where I think the right guy won in Michael Bisping, but just given the latitude that you're allowed to have in scoring criteria, you're going to get a wide, wide range of different outcomes. Okay, real quickly, let's just take a look at Yuri Alcantara and the final sequence he had over Brad Pickett. So this was um, the headlining fight of the prelim card for UFC 204. And I'm not going to show you the whole fight, of course, there's no need. We're just talking about this final sequence. So I think it was like a spinning back fist that Alcantara landed on Pickett, followed up with punches. Pickett falls and Alcantara falls him to the ground. So um, it looks like he's trying to put a foot in the hip and, you know, maybe a butterfly guard. He's, he's in one of those stages Pickett is where he's like half rocked half trying to do the right thing. It's it's not really here that we need to pay a whole lot of attention to. So let's fast forward through this slide. Okay, so here's where it begins. So Alcantara plants a hand. Pickett tries to get an overhook. And you can see what's going to happen here is that as he has his weight out, he's going to he's created space. Like, look how far his foot is here from the outside leg, uh, the right leg of Pickett. What's that mean? He's probably going to go for a knee slice or a knee cut, whatever you want to call it. So he's going to turn his hips that way, drive the knee that way. Okay? Like that. You can't quite see it. It's not quite. It's neon bellyish here, but he's gonna he's gonna turn it that way. Pickett's still just kind of holding on here, trying to gather his wits. There you can see, he turns that knee down to the ground. What does Pickett do? Grabs an overhook. Can't quite see what his right arm is doing, but he does get a knee shield. So this is the stage where Pickett is at least beginning to try and do something both offensive and defensive. Now the knee shield in this particular circumstance is probably just nothing but a. Uh, defensive maneuver, right? So you can he, he's not gonna, you're not going to stop the knee cut with a knee shield. It's almost like I know you're going to get it, kind of. Maybe I can hold on with my bottom leg and just keep your hip away. Um, you know, obviously the knee shield is used bottom half guard. That's that a lot of guys play that, and, and, and you'll find a lot of guys prefer to play that than maybe full guard in pure jujitsu. Um, but I often see a lot of guys doing knee shield in uh, MMA because it allows them if they can get that underhook to really. Right, you push on their hip, they push onto yours. There's this, there's this push and pull on your knee, their hip, your knee, their hip, and if you can get now, he does have an overhook here, so this is not this case. I'm just saying, if he gets an underhook here, what he can do is, and assuming he's not getting his head pressed, he can drive that foot out, right, and he can sit up with an underhook, scoot his hips back, go for his own takedown. You get the idea. So a lot of guys like to play with that a little bit. In this particular case, he's just trying to make sure he doesn't get mounted right away, but he will get mounted, and let's see why. So here, this was kind of interesting, and I had to watch this a couple times because I didn't quite understand what Pickett was doing. So he loses the battle. Like, this is basically a knee slice. If I don't think it's, I don't even know if it's 100% completed, but it doesn't matter. Like, Alcantara could easily get it. And you notice the knee shield is gone. The knee shield is gone because if you go back and you watch the tape, Pickett gives it up. And it looks to me like what happens is when Alcantara finishes the knee slice and comes up, or you know, mostly finishes the knee slice and comes up, Pickett tries to sit up. And to do that, he does what I just mentioned. He takes this knee that's corking in and sit and extends it to sit up, but he doesn't really go anywhere. You need the underhook to do it. So I don't know if he was rocked. I don't I mean, we know he was rocked. I, I, I'm trying to understand what decision making he had because if you just let this go and you don't have an underhook you're probably not gonna get up even if you have this other hand free all right so that's bad so you can see Alcantara doesn't go right for the mouth but goes to neon belly okay uh, nothing too much there still has the underhook keeping his weight down different ways to do neon belly this is the original way I learned kind of like a seatbelt 
I've since changed that. I now put the knee kind of like cross body, a little bit center of the chest. I find that gets a little bit better. But uh, Alcantara, you're going to see, is a nasty black belt. And maybe this is the one he thought was best for him. Not merely in this circumstance, but generally there's no wrong answer with Neon Belly if this is one of the ones you choose. I mean, there can be wrong Neon Bellies. I'm saying this is one of the correct options. But just want to make sure that the, the viewer you guys know, there's some different ways you can do Neon Belly. So if you see different kinds, just understand that this is the classic kind. Maybe it's the kind he likes. But anyway, there you go. Uh, okay, so this is interesting. So he goes from side control, neon belly, and then he's going to rotate his hips clockwise like that. And you notice he's got Pickett's left arm kind of trapped. So what is he doing here? It looks to me like that. You see that? It looks to me like with this... And by the way, if someone's arm is like this extended, and you're asking, how does he have any control? How does Alcantara have any control? Unless you've rolled, you just don't, you don't, you can't believe it. All he's doing here is pinning his elbow to his ribs. Now, we've talked about a million times how you can be strong there. You might be surprised at how strong you can be there. If you're slippery from sweat, it won't work. But if you're just fresh in the fight, we're only a minute and 30 seconds in, really. He can just pin his elbow, and it's going to be surprisingly hard to retract. I'm not kidding. And that's especially true with the gi. Plus, they can just put a hand on top of the back of the uh, sleeve here and hold it. You're, you're stuck. But he's holding it here. But here's the key to this. What's he doing? You think, oh, he's going to go around. He could be doing a number of different things. Maybe he's going around to, let me just say this. Once he gets here, here's what I think Pickett thinks. Pickett thinks, oh, God. This guy is going to sit around for an armbar here. Bouchesha is the king of hitting the far side armbar, of being on, let's say, this side of someone's body, and then whipping around. You can see him cupping the back of the shoulder here, whipping around the back, and then using an armbar on this side. A lot of people think if you're on one side of the body, you have to just armbar that side of the body. No, sir. You can go back and forth, back and forth, depending on what kind of control you have. Alcantara has the option here to do that. And because he came from, like, lateral... Now he's moving his hips up. I think a rocked picket thought, oh no, I need to get up. I'm about to get armbarred. But in the process of doing that, look at the gap he left here. Woo. Super, super open. So Alcantara says, maybe I was going for the armbar. Maybe I wasn't. I'll just go back to mount. And look how high he is on the mount. Look at the space between them right there. It's a lot of space, man. So, And you can see, look, he's still got that arm trapped. You think Pickett is just like leaving it there. He's not. I bet he's having trouble retracting it. Now, that won't matter in just a second. But this is just a classic case of jiu-jitsu mixed direction. You don't know which way you're going to go. You think something's coming. Oh, no, I don't want to get arm barred here. i got to get out of this. And then you wind up just giving up position. And it's obviously, obviously a lot of position threat and take the submission. Submission threat, take the position. You see this a lot with Kimura um, or even Americana. If you see a lot of big guys doing it, well, they'll threaten up a Kimura. Someone will do something and they'll just take mount or they'll move to side control. Or, um, but this is a classic case of that. So we keep going. So here's what he's doing. He's going to lean across to make sure he can catch a leg when he brings it up for a mounted triangle. Look how high he is. Remember we talked about with the CM Punk Mickey Gall knee to the ear? Now he's underneath here, but if if Pickett's head was on the floor, um, um, you know, you can imagine how close this knee would be to the ear. This is a super high mount, really, really high. Reaching across, pushing the other hand down, the right hand of Pickett down with his own left, and he's going to whip it across. Now Pickett's hand's actually kind of trapped in here, not all the way, but it's enough where it maybe would have helped him if he had just been a triangle. Now he's got his weight planted forward. He's got this. All he has to do is bring this around, but here's what he's going to do. 
right? He's going to try and force this arm across. Let's see how he does it. Tries to, it looked to me like he hooked the inside of his glove here, by the way, which is a no-no if that's true. I, I can't quite tell, but either way, it doesn't matter. It didn't work. So what he does is he grabs now the outside of the glove. He actually switched at this point, and then gets behind. But as you can see, if you ever wrestle with someone, okay, the elbow's separated from his ribs, but it's still going to be hard to get their arm across if they're really resisting and they're really strong, especially if it's someone your size. You've got to be really good to get that out. So what he does is, this is awesome, he, can't, he knows he can't just he-man this across. So he just sits his body up and covers the position, right? In other words, my two arms against your one arm, maybe it'll, maybe it'll win. I'm not saying it won't win, maybe it'll win, but it's going to be tough. However, your one arm against my two arms and my body, I'm going to win. Now I'm going to win. So it's just simple biomechanics, right? So now he's covering that space. Now... Now, do you think McCall, it's McCall, Jesus, do you think Pickett could just drive his elbow to the ground and slide Alcantara out of the way? No chance. You can't move your body weight just by driving your tricep to the ground. It's not strong enough. Those, I mean, you're using your rear delts there, those tiny little muscles in the back of your arm. It's never going to work. All right, so he now dives head forward and is going uh, either for the, it looks initially for the triangle, but you can see Pickett, Wisely, he's starting to regain his um, his senses here. He knows he's in trouble, but I want you to pay attention here. Pickett's hips are off the floor. That means he knows he has to get moving as soon as this head goes down. Head goes down, bang, he's getting to his base. So this is nice, actually, from Brad Pickett. It's strong anticipation. You know, he's in a really bad spot, but he's doing a lot of the right things for being in that condition. Okay? Let's see what happens as we move forward. Alcantara keeps control of the arm, realizes he doesn't have the triangle, and goes to switch for uh, an arm bar, briefly. Right there, as you can see it. Gets the arm out. Now, Pickett knows he has to helicopter around, so let's see what he does. And he does that. The problem is, at, he had to come all the way around. And what the problem for him is, he, you know, here he's in... He, the arm bar's in. The arm bar's still in. And what you see from Alcantara is he doesn't lay here and just go belly down and let someone come around him. He follows them as they go and resets the angle every time. And what you see him do is Granby roll so that he never loses the angle. Pickett has to create these wide openings in order just to come around. Remember, he needs to go all the way around. He needs to be like on this side of the body, way all the way around. He has to get this guy to roll all the way over. And he can't because Alcantara is following him with his hips. Hips following hips. Look at that. He never lets the angle get too far away and just locks up the triangle again. That's a nasty guard. That's a nasty guard from Yuri Alcantara. Let me tell you something, man. You ever roll with a black belt who's really good and they just know how to move with you? You get into quicksand in ways that just make you laugh when you're done rolling with them. Because you just can't believe that they went like that. and they They're just... Within 10 seconds, man, like your your position just got infinitely worse. And the reason why some it's, it's a basic fundamental, but it's the kind of fundamental that's hard to be good at, right? I'm never going to let you just reset the angle on me. I'm going to follow you with my hips, and then I'm going to lock up the submission again. And from that point, he actually decides to keep rolling. What does he do? Where is all of Pickett's weight? It's down and forward. So he's going to use that to turn him and bring him to the ground, right? How else do you do it? You could have... Uh, you know, locked up this arm underneath here to not get slammed and just finish the triangle if you wanted. But he wanted to bring it to the ground and he wanted to be 
uh, get pick it off of his feet. So what does he do? He continues to roll that way, bringing the weight forward at an angle. Right? He's not merely going uh, ass over tea kettle, ass over tea kettle at an angle. Weak side brings him over and then continues to roll as he does, so that he ends up here. Let me tell you something about Yuri Alcantara's guard. That is nasty. That is really, really, really nasty. A lot of guys are very tricky with their legs. They're very tricky about their timing. Yuri Alcantara is really good about making sure his hips and his body rolling off of his shoulders, rolling around to different angles, you never are able to change things on him. Remember, if you want, if you could beat this, if you could, well, I mean, this point is too late. But let's say it was lo you know, loose like it was back here. Go back here, right? A lot of guys will go for this arm bar, and then the other guy on top will just come around, and then what will happen is the guy on bottom will have to let it go. Guy on top's in side control. How many times have you seen that? You see that a lot at like the RFA level of fighting, because the guy underneath. Even if he's an MMA or jiu-jitsu black belt, but maybe just hasn't really practiced it for MMA purposes, they kind of lose their bearings a little bit. Yuri Alcantara is cold-blooded here, bro. Rolling off of his shoulders like that, never letting uh, Pickett reset the angle, get all the way around him. Everything is being blocked. Look at this, pushing off of his toes to make sure his hips are always in the right position and just sits it right back up. Pickett had nowhere to go. Golly, bro. Uh, uh, okay, so here, doesn't have the arm across, but that's a really tight triangle. Want to point out something. We made this point about Joe Duffy. We'll make this point about Yuri Alcantara. A, a lot of guys, when they do the triangle, and I've even seen some guys who are pretty advanced at this, they put their feet down. They point them away. No, sir. And the bottom one is exactly as important. You want to have your toes pointing up. You want to bring your toes to your knees, bring your toes to your knees. Look at that. Why? Do a little experiment with yourself. Lock up a triangle and see what happens when your feet extend versus when your feet come up. When your feet come up, both of them, you actually thicken the calf muscle. Right, you thicken everything underneath. It actually makes it even tighter, and tighter in, in ways that might surprise you. And you especially might need that if you can't get the elbow across. At this point, though, I think Pickett is so rocked. This triangle is so nice. A lot of the details are very fundamental. Pulling down on the head, Pickett is forced to tap. Let me tell you something about Yuri Alcantara. Wow, super, super impressive guard. Really excellent finish, my man. Here, just can't believe it. All right, and that concludes uh, examination of the slides from this week. So we always, in the third part, look at what's coming next week. I don't know what's coming next week. Uh, it was supposed to be UFC Fight Night, Lamas versus Penn. That is no more. Um, so I don't know if we're going to have one next week. If we do, it'll be just a special one based on something that may have happened in the past. If you have an idea about something you want to see, a serious idea, please, uh, list it in the comments. We'll take a look at it. Uh, you can email me at luke.thomas at espionation.com. Um, but we'll see what happens with that. Obviously, the next big one's going to be, what, Bellator 163, UFC 205, of course. Who could forget? We'll, do, we'll probably do a couple of Monday morning analysts for that. So um, just let me know. All right. Thanks for watching. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, like, share the whole bit. Thumbs up, the you know, and uh, let folks know about it. And uh, if you do, you're the best person in the universe. Thank you, guys. Glad you watched. Really appreciate it. Until next time, enjoy the fights.